Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Accenture overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Vacation alert from the three-row Jeep Grand Cherokee L. Mama and Papa want to go hiking. Los abuelos want to relax at the beach. And the kids want to go to the amusement park. With seating for up to seven, you and your loved ones can enjoy all these adventures and more. Jeep, there's only one. Visit jeep.com to learn more. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! But I think the hand sanitizer is a great example of something that you take for granted as something you only would do on your hands because uh, why would you dump it all over your hair and your back? And that sounds ridiculous, but uh, that's essentially what we think is some, for some reason beneficial to do with soap. You're listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Science Focus magazine team. With the UK's best-selling Science and Technology Monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store. Hello, I'm Alexander McNamara, online editor at BBC Science Focus. Historically, humans have gone from seeing bathing as something vaguely sinful and reserved for the wealthy to a daily necessity that, if neglected, is a huge social blunder. We all know how important good hygiene is. It protects us from viral infections and diseases. But what if by washing, soaping and scrubbing were actually damaging our health? Specialist in preventative medicine, Dr. James Hamblin, stopped showering five years ago. In his new book, Clean, he reveals how our skin is affected by the products we apply. The overuse of soap and cosmetic products sold to us with the promise of caring for our skin might actually even be causing some of the ailments we're using them to try and treat. He explains to BBC Science Focus editorial assistant Amy Barrett about why it's time for a whole new perspective on cleaning. One that starts with a personal reflection of our relationship with our own bodies. So, tell me, why did you stop showering? Um, that's a reasonable question with a complex answer. Um, a few years ago, I started following the science of the skin microbiome that was just starting to come into literature um, at the time and kind of just telling us that we have 
trillions of microbes all over us all the time. And at the same time, there was this emerging industry of skin probiotic products to kind of help, that, uh, ostensibly help that microbiome flourish. Um, so I, I went into experimenting with, well, you know, may, maybe uh, there's something to at least not trying to too aggressively eliminate all of these microbes, um, even though I was finding that the products that were out there weren't really um, necessarily good or helpful. It at least got me questioning the basic premise of uh, a showering. And uh, there's more to the story, which I go into in the book, but that's that's the basics of, of what stirred my interest. And did you stop all at once or did you do it gradually? Gradually. Gradually is definitely the key. I recommend anybody who is considering um, cutting back or, or even stopping certain practices altogether, you know, it's kind of uh, like, I liken it to uh, training for a marathon that you, uh, your body just sort of gets used to the process and changes over time. So yeah, we've all gone, you know, uh, a few days without showering or without using deodorant. And if you're used to doing those things regularly, yeah, you smell pretty terrible and feel bad. And so <laughs> it's not a surprise to think that m many people think, oh, well, that would just, the situation would continue to just get worse if I left it that way. Um, but in fact, you, most people can, can wean off of, uh, wean themselves off of products, probably not entirely, but, but can do radically less than many of us thought was necessary. And so why, so why should we lessen the products that we're using? What is it about these products that's actually doing any, da are they doing any damage at all? You know, I am definitely not telling anyone what to do or making, you know, <laughs> I, I, I think um, a lot of the personal care rituals that we do bring a lot of value to us, um, just as that, as ritual, as social bonding, as social currency, as signifiers of the way we want to be perceived in the world. And that has a lot of value outside of, you know, the traditional health and medical space. And so I take that very seriously. And if you enjoy these things and have the time and money, um, you know, more power to you. I, I just think there is room to question a lot of what people believe is necessary for health purposes. Um, just mm. for the fact that most of these many, most products, shampoos, conditioner, body wash, um, m moisturizers, deodorants are all sold to us in, in pharmacies, sort of alongside m medicines and uh, things to treat, you know, symptoms of disease. And so that makes it feel very necessary. And we're mm. sort of imbued with this morality and righteousness that <laughs> of uh, what it means to be clean. But so for people who do want to cut back, uh, either because they're having skin issues or they just want to simplify things and save time and money and water and plastic bottles and whatever else, um, you know, in that case, I think there is sometimes benefit to be had in, in, in all those areas, especially if you're someone who's spending a, a lot of money and worrying a lot about all the products you're using. There's not one right way to do all this, that these are very personal decisions about how you, how we, how we groom ourselves and how we maintain our skin and how we create our appearances. 
And I have no interest in telling anyone what's what's right or wrong. The book is really just an exploration of why we believe what we believe in and the effects of our of our practices on our own ecosystems and on the environment around us. But it seems kind of counterintuitive to say that if you know if you're someone who gets skin issues, you should actually try not using skincare products. Yeah. And and that's you know probably too vast of a statement, but there are a lot of dermatologists who are seeing conditions like dry skin and eczema and acne that are made worse, it seems, when people get into these cycles of of overwashing, um, that you are just kind of aggravating things, you are stirring up the microbiome so that it's constantly just in flux, that your skin's oils that are needed for the healthy functioning of skin are being totally taken away to the point that your skin can't really uh, operate effectively and the microbes that feed on those oils can't form a stable equilibrium. And, you know, uh, the instinct in much of the modern world is when there's an issue to add yet more products or to do something more aggressively. Um, And so it just is sort of counterintuitive, as you say, to think, well, maybe the you know, maybe I'm just making it worse or maybe this is, at the very least, it's not helping. Um, And Mm -hmm. so just like anything in health and medicine, um, a good thing can be overdone. Yeah. And you talk about the microbes that we have. Can you just tell me a little bit more about our microbiome and how that relates to skincare? Uh, Sure. Uh, You know, it's an emerging science that we are just beginning to understand but there is an ecosystem of microbes on our skin at all times, uh, all over our body, of uh, bacteria, viruses, archaea, fungi, and we, uh, even mites, even microscopic uh, mites. And mm-hmm. you, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're not there causing disease, not in the, the sense of something like coronavirus, which we definitely want to get rid of. Absolutely wash your hands. None of that. <laughs> that's not being contested. <laughs> but... Um, in subtler ways, these non-disease-causing microbes are, are much more common and they're, they're all over us. And they do affect, it seems, the functioning of the skin in that they correlate with different, different proportions of these microbes are present during things like acne outbreaks and eczema flares. And so there's a hope that as we better understand this microbiome, similar to the gut microbiome, that we'll be able to help use products or not use products or change behaviors, change lifestyles in ways that will help keep that microbiome diverse and thriving and healthy and, you know, minimize any of these unwanted symptoms. Hmm. And you've written that the that our primary immune organ is the skin. How does the skin actually protect us from getting ill? In so many ways. There's the obvious barrier function, which I think is the you know, the way that most people think of the skin is this sort of inanimate mm-hmm. coating that just sort of keeps our organs from falling out all over the floor. But, um, <laughs> you know, we know that as soon as you have a, a, a break in the skin, you know, that can become infected and a person can die really quickly and then did before the advent of antibiotics. Um, so it's not just important in that way. It's also these microbes on our skin, um, are the interface between the natural world and us. And the immune cells in our blood are percolating up through the skin and are 
in touch with the signals we're getting from our environment and are helping to learn and to uh, sense our environments and to, to helping to titrate that immune system such that it doesn't overreact to things that are harmless and that it reacts very efficiently to things that that are. And, um, you know, I, I think that's where you get into an area of wanting a biodiversity on your skin. This, uh, that we get into in the book, this idea of a biodiversity hypothesis, but that you're that if you have a diverse array of exposures, you are more likely to have a robust immune system that's well-trained to effectively do its job when, when it's needed and, and not to uh, flare up when it's not. Because mm. there are some people that talk about um, saying that now as a society we're perhaps too clean and that's why, because you know we're not all out playing in the mud and we're not you know as active in the kind of dirty, in quotes, world, um, that's why we get more infections and we have more diseases. Is, is that actually the case? That was kind of the central question I set out to understand in the book. And uh, it, it seems there is this idea that you're describing, which used to be known and sometimes still is known as the hygiene hypothesis, um, partly that we don't have these diverse exposures that train our immune system so that it's not well calibrated and, and so that we are, um, everything's just less uh, accurate at pinpointing and acting up only when the immune system is needed to act up. Um, it seems there's probably less to do with hygiene practices in shaping that immune system than with uh, the ways we've changed our environments and our food systems and our, uh, you know, our, our, our built environment, especially that we are not in contact, as you describe, with, with soil and with the natural world so much. Um, we could be contributing to it with things like overwashing and trying to s sterilize and sanitize everything, but it becomes difficult when you have conditions like like the pandemic, like the air pollution that causes us to need to mm -hmm. filter our air and to stay inside, um, and people don't have access to um, pristine natural environments where they could go if they wanted to go to be exposed to these to you know the, the microbes that we speak about. Um, so it's a, it's really a double edged sword. And it's not clearly the case that hygiene is is good or bad, but that it, it, we want to be targeted with what we're doing. And um, if there are practices where we're simply trying to sterilize and sanitize and kill microbes for no specific purpose, it would be good to understand uh, <laughs> how we can cut back. I guess the amount of water you use and the amount of plastic waste that you have must be considerably less now than what it was. Yeah, it, it is. You know, um, we talk about like really transportation and energy sectors are the major contributors of, of greenhouse gases, but um, every little thing counts, I think. And when you look cumulatively at how much, you know, liquid soap and, and detergent and shampoo and body wash are shipped around the world and how those products are sourced you know, either from um, from petroleum, from animal animals, or from uh, plants like like palm oil that have to be have to be farmed. The impact, as you add it up, is significant. Such that if we all did even slightly less, the global impact would be would be meaningful.
In terms of our skin, we think sometimes that it is just this kind of outer layer that, that I think I forget myself is, is even there most of the time, but it's actually quite complex. Um, can you just tell me a little bit about the different layers of the skin and, and what they do? Um, well, you know, most of us learn about the dermis and epidermis as these sorts of, yeah, just barriers that are that are blocking things uh, from falling out or coming in. But in fact, they're full of tiny nerve particles that are reacting to our environment. They're full of tiny blood vessels that are leaking out uh, immune cells that are kind of our, our body's first line of defense in sensing um, any threats in the environment and, and, and learning to differentiate self and other. And then on top of that, there is this film of uh, oils and microbes that are uh, sort of forming this interface or a continuum with the outside world that's, you know, the microbes are technically uh, organisms that are distinct from us, but we carry them around they live with us always, <laughs> not the exact same ones, but mm -hmm. the same, same species. So it's, it's, it's hard to say, you know, where the self and ends and, and other begins. And that's the layer that I think a lot of people don't think about when they're thinking about, um, skin as this sort of, uh, static, boring, um, barrier thing. But I, to me, that's mm -hmm. been a really, you know, revelatory way to think about, how connected we are to our environments and then and likewise to think about why <laughs> what exactly I'm doing when I'm trying to disrupt that biome and uh whether it's good hmm. so in terms of someone who you know showers daily is using I mean I actually knowing that I'd had this interview, I counted how many products I use. And once I got to 10, I thought, oh my goodness, I can't keep going because I'm just <laughs> horrendously embarrassed when I talk to you. Um, but is that, is that, am I doing damage that is irreparable or is it that um, actually if I gradually wean myself off, I can cultivate my own microbiome back to how it should be? That's a great question. Um, it Most of our... Uh, our, our skin sensitivities, like food sensitivities, are developed early in life. Um, the biome that we have is formed during the early years. Microbes kind of get into our pores and live there, and they're going to become part of that foundation forever. But we also, it does seem possible to change it. It's certainly possible to change it on a temporary basis, as in when you remove the oils from your skin, the microbes suddenly sort of just have no, no food, and whichever ones can live best on the newer, less oily uh, surface you've created will will thrive there. And when you put an antimicrobial, you know, deodorant into your arm, then you will kill things off. So to that degree, yeah, you can change the populations and, and they will change pretty quickly as you change your own uh, behaviors. Um, <laughs> but I don't want to say that, you know, you use 10 products or more and, and that might just be absolutely fine or even good. There are, we're, we're just beginning to understand exactly how, you know, the new lines of, of skincare products that contain uh, vitamins and um, essential oils and clay and things like that are affecting mm -hmm. these microbes because they're sort of new to 
that level of biology. And there's hope and at least some marketing that makes us believe that um, <laughs> they might actually be helping those microbes. Because you see, don't you, these, you know, these fads come around every few years. One time you, you're supposed to take, uh, I don't know, charcoal supplements, or then you can take collagen sachets and all these different things. Um, but do we, is it that we don't actually know the effects of these is are they are they allowed to be marketed to us without us really understanding what they do yes we think of these products um more as cosmetics than as medications but many of them do mm. live in a kind of gray area right where they're kind of promising to change the the functioning of your skin and uh to feed it or to prevent flares of uh, you know skin diseases and <clears throat> That's where, yeah, it's difficult for consumers to know what actually helps um, because m most products, at least in the U.S., I can speak to, are, are only, <laughs> there's only action at a regulatory level once a product has proved to be harmful to people, then it will get recalled. But up until that point, right. um, we assume that it's safe. Hmm. And if you take away kind of all the extra products that there are, if we get down to the basics, which is just, you know, fundamentally soap, um, how long have we been using soap? Um, is it something that humans have always found a way to wash themselves with this additive? Um, yeah, throughout recorded history, there are references to things with soap-like products. People could, you know... Um, well before the industrial revolution and there was before any sort of purposefully manufactured soap there were homemade soaps there were soaps made from from plant roots um basically anytime you can find a an oil which you can take for a plant or or animal and you can heat it up and combine it with a base you know tr traditionally lye was used then you you get a soap um and some of them are very uh, <laughs> uh basic soaps and they will burn your skin um, but they they have at least been used to you know help get bad stains out of clothing um to wash people when you're really covered in you know some sticky gooey substance that you need to get off of you um <clears throat> but it's really only a very recent invention that we would think um that we should apply soaps to our whole body every day and simply to remove all of the natural oils from our skin um, uh, for <laughs> purposes that, that to imagine that there would be any benefit to doing that is um, that's a, a, a product of really genius marketing over the last hundred years. Wow. So before that, it wasn't that people thought it was a necessity to kind of sh to wash ourselves, you know, now we do it daily, but was it before considered something that you still had to do? It was really culturally dependent. <clears throat> so, and, and a lot of this was shaped by, by religion. So Christianity in particular, um, there were, uh, there was a lot of concern about, about chastity and modesty and people were advised not to bathe um, because it was considered oh considered immodest you had to essentially get naked especially before indoor plumbing um you know if you go back to roman bathhouses bathing meant a communal experience where you were around other naked people and there was also uh, prostitution there was you know the the bathhouses were not places that were 
beloved by the church. Uh, in other mm-hmm. religions, there were doctrines about things like, you know, washing your hands before before eating or before entering the temple, um, which, and, and uh, things that were mostly, um, you know, ritual. We didn't have an understanding of germ theory then, so there really wasn't an idea that this was washing any particular thing off of your hands, but it might have been the case that it was observed to be good practice or that people who did this seemed to get fewer illnesses and that may have informed some traditions, but yeah, any such customs were, were dictated by, you know, local culture or by religious doctrine. But as you've mentioned, um, if some of us have gone a few days without maybe showering or using any deodorant, we, we, you know, we start to smell. And surely our aversion to this bad smell implies that there's a reason, an evolutionary reason, that we shouldn't actually smell bad, that that implies something about us? Um, yeah. Well, that that's a very complex question. You know, why, w- it, from an evolutionary perspective, would there be a, uh, any reason that we would become a, a repulsive to other members of the species within a matter of hours or days if we don't use uh, uh, a large number of products. So I think it's more likely the case that our our bodies and environments and microbiomes are um, just quite messed up by all that we do and all that we are and, and, and our modern lifestyles and, and the ways in which we continue to mess with those populations leads to bacterial populations that are overgrown by the ones that are particularly offensive smelling. But in, in my experience and in the experience of many others who have quit deodorant or, you know, cut back on showering, that situation does not last. Um, you, you, you develop a smell. You, if you have microbes on your skin and your skin is alive and secreting oils, you will produce odors, but you can uh, get to a place where those populations are not, you know, extremely pungent and offensive. <laughs> and I think that is, um, you know, that, that that's attainable for most people when you break out of these cycles of of washing. So you don't go around worrying that you're you're secretly smelling and people just are too polite. To I you. did, you know, for quite some time, <laughs> and and mm. I had to ask, you know, um, colleagues and friends and acquaintances and people who I knew would be honest with me to make sure this was not just me. But um, but no, the, the the sort of body odor smell that we're all so familiar with as just really, you know, clearly offensive uh, is not i that does not happen um anymore and i have a smell to me and my wife says it's just like identifiable but <laughs> she likes it other people say it's not <laughs> bad um you know we we for most of our history we had smells that we were part of how we communicated with uh other people and that sense has been largely removed from our um, social biology of late, such that we either expect people to smell, to smell like nothing, or to smell like a perfume, cologne, you know, body wash, or or else it must mean that they smell offensive and bad. If there's any detectable human odor, it's it's negative, and I think that is a good kind of binary idea to break out of. So we could actually communicate 
through smell. Like there, there was a time when we used smell for something other than just, well, I guess we don't use it at all now to identify something about a person as to whether we think they're clean or unclean apart from that. Yeah, I think, you know, it's one of the sensory inputs of which we communicate. You know, I don't think we alone were going up like uh, as dogs and, and <laughs> basing our sense of someone on, on their smell, but it was just one of our senses that played a role that now we tend to really um, just always cover up or drown out. So when you say that, you know, you, you gave up showering five years ago, what did that actually mean? Like, do, do you still shower at all? Do you take baths instead? What, what's your routine like? Um, yeah. And, and in the book, it's, I, I say, you know, in any traditional sense. And so I will still rinse off when I need to or want to just with water just quickly, especially if I have bed head or if I've, you know, if I visibly got dirt on me. Um, but you can exfoliate and you can remove oils with, you know, kind of just, just scrubbing with your hands and combing your hair um, occasionally. And that's just about it. I'm very vigilant about washing my hands. I brush my teeth. Um, I, uh, but, uh, but that's the extent of it. It's, it's, um, gotten to be really simple, but it did, it did not happen overnight. <laughs> I mean, I honestly, I really enjoy getting a facial. It is, it's a rare treat for me, but am I wasting my money? I'm actually doing more harm and good by doing that. I think of it like, and, and I got facials for the book. <laughs> so, and I did feel like I enjoyed it and I looked better afterwards. And I think of it like gourmet cooking, you know, um, it's impossible to say, or, or, or you know, consuming fine art. Um, if you're not someone who's really into that, it can quickly seem like someone is really wasting their time and money. Um, but if you are, those things can, you know, provide joy and value to you, which no one can rightly say is, wrong, uh, you know, not worth it, because it is really about how much that sensory experience does for you. And if anything, in researching and reporting that book, I came to understand the many ways that these products and practices like facials, you know, enrich people's lives far beyond what, you know, the biology of, of the skin. So, yeah, no, far be it for me to judge whether or not something <laughs> like that is worth it to you um, any more than it might be for you to judge someone who spends $500 on a dinner because they, uh, you know, love food, you know, and if you're not a foodie, mm. that might seem ridiculous, but to them, it was the highlight of their year. Hmm. And is there any, are there any changes that you had to make, um, in addition? So, you know, are you having to wear different types of clothes or, or wash your clothes more often? Often do you, you know, use abrasive flannels now instead? Oh, no. I, I dress the same as always, which is pretty simple. <laughs> That's reassuring. So I don't have to go and buy a new wardrobe if I'm going to decide to to use this product. No, I don't think so. And and yeah, I, I still wash my clothes, not after everywhere, but um, when they seem like they need it. So say I decided now I was going to give this a go. What What should I do next? What are my next steps? Am I going to have to throw away every expensive product that I've bought and and start that way? Or um, no, I I think uh, 
you just pare down to what you um, you know what brings you value. Uh, definitely keep brushing your teeth, washing your hands. Um, you know, if you want to quit deodorant, people tend to like to do that by transitioning to milder forms. And generally with shampoos and body washes to just kind of um, gradually using less and less of uh, or taking shorter showers, taking cooler showers, using less product per shower um, and then gradually doing it less frequently. And you get to a point then where you can just do so when you feel like it as opposed to feeling tethered to doing something every single day and spending a large amounts of time and, and uh using a lot of product so that you don't really you should never have to feel significantly uncomfortable or deprived um and if you're really missing it you know bring it right back no harm done and you've talked about you know washing hands and things and that's something that we're all being taught to do and we're also or now definitely I am using much more antibacterial gel so I'm, I'm kind of constantly hand using hand sanitizer mm-hmm. um what's that actually doing to my skin yeah well the hand sanitizer is a really effective tool and that should destroy the microbial particles on your hands and it it does so in a blanket way it sort of clear cuts the forest which in times of pandemic is is good um for whatever it might dry out your hands it, it will kill some normal microbes on your hands but that's worth it we deem that worth it because we don't have a precise you know anti coronavirus gel we can rub on our hands um, that will leave other things intact. But I think the hand sanitizer is a great example of something that you take for granted as something you only would do on your hands because uh, why would you dump it all over your hair and your back? And that sounds ridiculous, but uh, that's essentially what we think is some for some reason beneficial to do with soap. That's a really good way of thinking about it. Um, does it depend on like locations because I know I feel grimier when I've been in London I'm getting on and off the tube and rushing around than when I'm out in the countryside yeah exactly and I think what you're probably getting that there too is the effect of lifestyle which we've all seen but when you're stressed out and um you know in your workaday life and probably not eating as much as you should not sleeping as much as you should and um just consumed by work versus when you're out in the country on vacation and relaxed and sleeping and eating and um, outdoors. And before you know it, you've gone a few days and haven't showered and you don't really feel bad or smell bad. And and I think that's a great reminder that so much of our skin health, uh, our skin's functioning and appearance are coming from inside. That We have a culture that has taught us to put things on or to try to wash things off to do these topical approaches with quick fix products when in fact um, it's also sort of teaching us to overlook the uh, lifestyle drivers of how our skin functions and looks. And when you start thinking about that, then you have overall health benefits for the rest of your organs as well, not just your skin. And so you, in terms of your day job, are you a, like a skin specialist? Is this what you do on a daily basis, helping people with skin problems? No, I'm a, I'm a journalist and a public health (laughs) professor. Mm, I see. Um, so is it that you'll tackle another, another organ next or what do you think is next? Uh, uh, well, I've been pretty consumed by covering the, the pandemic. So hopefully Mm. that uh, is something that we don't have to think about 
in the not too distant future, but I'm not sure when that'll be. Hmm. Have you noticed that the pandemic has changed people's attitudes towards hygiene in a, in a positive or a negative way? Um, very positive. So people have focused on things like hand washing um, and sanitizing high touch surfaces and wearing masks, which are evidence-based ways of preventing disease. And at the same time, a lot of people have been working from home, um, have felt the, the freedom to do less of the things that um, they didn't want to be doing or they were doing just because they socially felt like they had to. Um, and that sometimes means less showering, sometimes it means fewer products. And uh, I think in both ways, that's healthy, kind of prioritizing the things that are really medically important and um, feeling empowered to let go of the ones <laughs> that aren't and that weren't bringing you any particular joy. And these changes in, you know, our, our public health and our public hygiene, do you think they will be sustained after the pandemic? Do you have hope in that? I do. Um, but, you know, hand washing has never been something that the whole species has been great at. So uh, my expectations are tempered. But I, I know hmm. I think a lot of people are doing better now than than ever before. That was James Hamblin revealing the hidden world sitting on our skin and why overwashing does more harm than good. In the magazine this month, we ask, could there be life around black holes? Also in this issue, there's a scientist's guide to getting a good night's sleep, an engineer building biological robots and the deep diving tech solving some of the ocean's biggest mysteries. As always, there are loads more science stories inside and available on sciencefocus.com. And if you like what you've just listened to, then please leave us a rating or a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Science Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling science and technology monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store.